Well, first off, let me just say that Skykomish is different than Skokomish. <laughs> but sometimes I get my right mixed up from my left, too, so... Yeah, last Sunday I said that Tim was uh, at Skokomish, and no, he's at Skykomish, and he's there again this Sunday. He will be there again next Sunday, and then he's driving all the way back down to Morton to serve there. <clears throat> he has such a servant's heart. Um, I'm, I'm just really, really thankful for him. As uh, this last week, I drove down to the Village Missions office in Dallas, Oregon. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, as I finally got to Morton, and I was driving myself, normally Marilyn's my chauffeur, but I was on my own. And as I finally got past Morton, I thought, man, this is a long way. That's like, I don't know, it took me like two and a half hours to get there. Uh, and I wasn't to Morton, so I'm just really thankful for Tim's heart in serving uh, and helping these other churches that are uh, either on vacation, like uh, Tony and Kathy Bittner up in uh, Skykomish, or down in Morton, where we need to send a village missionary. As I was down at the, the village missions office for the Association of North American Missions, we just say ANAM. Um, Village Missions is a part of that organization along with a lot of other smaller mission organizations that are here in North America. We are the bigger one. We're the elephant in the room, so to speak. The cool thing about ANAM is every five years they do a review of all member organizations. Um, they send out questionnaires to the different missionaries, um, which with Village Missions, there's quite a few, and they got a lot back. I was really surprised how many. They also send out interviews for the office staff down in Dallas and for the admins and for all of the district representatives to fill out these forms. Plus, they look over the finances. They look at Village Missions' statement of purpose, and then they look to see... Are we meeting that? So every year they do a, 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 excuse me, every five years they do a review of member organizations, and it was our turn this year. And so I went down for that, and um, also I needed to have a meeting with um, our stewardship director, Tim Griffiths, and then the director, John Adams, ahead of time about this new thing we're going to try to do with the CDI. We need so many missionaries. Um, we have... I don't want to scare you because we're waiting to get a village missionary ourselves. But there's like 25 holes to fill in the United States, or 24 in the United States, and another five in Canada. And we have only seven for this upcoming candidate school in the fall. Two of those are going to be not village missionaries. They're going to go in a, an intern residency so they can get mentored, and that takes a full year. Fortunately, we have two that have already been approved, been through candidate school, have raised support, and are ready to be placed. Um, but I don't know where they're going to be placed, and they're brand new. So we're, we need to, as a church, we have a vested interest in praying like Jesus told us to, right? Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send more laborers into his harvest field. And as a mission, uh, we've kind of been... Um, we were growing and growing, and then we're, we're on the backside of the curve, so to speak, as far as 
the number of churches we've been able to serve. And so a few years ago, we, we um, realized that we needed to do something. And we put on two more district representatives so we could take better care of the missionaries that we have so that we could kind of you know, close the back door a little bit. We've got Peace Haven that is trying to help missionaries uh, get a little bit of a respite, and even those that need counseling to get that or whatever it takes. We've got Chris Kramer, who is doing now this. Um, he's taken over Peace Haven, and Chris and Joyce are putting on the Balanced Life Conference for our two-year and then three-year missionaries. Now that they've learned a little bit about They've learned by what they've suffered. They've, they've learned, you know, that they don't know it all. They need to learn some more. And so we're going to bring them together out at Warren Beach and try to have this conference that will answer some of their questions and kind of encourage them along the way. And I say we because I'm helping Chris with that. And I have had a vested interest in praying for Chris and Joyce this past week. When he let me know that they that Chris had tested positive for COVID and everything, I was thinking, "Oh no!" And then he says, "And then if I get it, he says I will give you my notes." And I'm thinking, "Oh Lord, please heal them. I want them. <laughs> I want to be the guy that brings the salad tray and welcomes people in, you know, and stuff like that." Um, so anyway, Marilyn and I are going to be helping with that this next week, backing up to. Um, Oh, I just got a text, too, from Chris this morning. They're both feeling fine, and they're hoping that they get a negative test today. At any rate, backing up to Anam, it was kind of cool going down there, um, even though I ended up having an AFib event down there and wondering, okay, now how do I get home? I don't know if I should drive or not. And, um, but as Anam gave their review of Village Missions, they said, yes, you're on the other side of the curve, but that's, that will turn around. Village Missions has everything it needs to move forward. It is a, a very strong organization. We are meeting our stated purpose, which is to glorify Jesus Christ by helping to create vital rural Christian churches in North America. We, we want to revitalize the church. But then the cool thing is, is they said, and one of the strongest elements, well, the core element that Village Missions has going for it is the CDI. And they had heard from so many different village missionaries how important that was. And for us as a mission to have Contenders Discipleship Initiative as a, as a training tool for new missionaries to equip them right on our fields is, I mean, that's wonderful. And then there's this other thing of so many others outside of our village missions churches are taking these contenders courses and they want to become missionaries or pastors or village missionaries and with VM. And that's why I've got to figure out a way to recruit them and to keep track of them because they're just like dropping through my fingers, so to speak. Um, and so I'd appreciate prayer for that. But it's, it's kind of cool that God used us, this little church here in the Pilchuck River Valley. I mean, we're not this big mega church or anything like that, obviously. But God used Machias Community Church and all of those contenders courses that people are watching around the world. And a pastor in India just signed up as a local instructor this morning. He's going to be watching videos that were shot right here. And it happened because of this church's faithfulness to the greater church. Because, you know, the church is not a building. How many of you knew that? 
Okay. Whew. All right. So the church is not a building. Church is not something you go to. You can't go to it. It's something that you are a part of. You are a part of the church. And it's a lot bigger than Machias. It's a lot bigger than village missions. It's, it, God has designed the church so that his church, the church Jesus is building, the universal church that exists, not just in a location and not just at a point in time, but throughout time and everywhere, and a lot of them, are, let's face it, are in heaven, but he's posited his church in local congregations so that we can eyeball one another, so we can actually talk to one another, so we, we can have koinonia. We can have fellowship. We can participate together. I'm excited about after the sermon, we're going to participate together in congregational prayer. That is such an important thing, not just a a tack on, an add on, or something that you come at another night to do, um, but something that we can do corporately. I'm, I'm really thankful for that. Open your Bibles, will you, with me to Philippians. Philippians Chapter 4, but um, I'm going to be hitting some of those other things in some of the other chapters because, as I I shared with you, um, I had four Sundays. I was going to do the four chapters of Philippians and pull out of there, out of each one, something that has been really important to me because it's it's such an an encouraging letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian Christians in what would seem like very discouraging circumstances. You know, he's... He's chained to a Roman guard under house arrest, but I mean, he's, this is not a palatial type of a deal, but God has used him. It's amazing what's happening. He's excited because he, he's been able to preach the gospel to people from Caesar's own household, and they've gotten saved. And so at the very end of this, he says, and the saints in Caesar's household, they greet you too. They're sending their greeting. They're, they're excited that they're saved. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But uh, my stay here has been extended, and I'm going to be preaching two more Sundays. And um, so I'd like you to read John chapter 3 and John chapter 4 in preparation for that. And then we get to be here an indeterminate amount of time because I don't know when I'm going to have this cardiac procedure. So I get to sit here and hear... Tim preach and John preach and and maybe Chris will come back and preach. I'm I'm really looking forward to um, when Tim Henley will come and preach. That guy, he gets kind of excited. Have you noticed? (laughs) He's going every which way. I love it. Okay, so you know I said turn to chapter four, but let's let's go back to chapter one, and I want to pray, and then we're going to get some of these promises out here and remind ourselves, Heavenly Father. Thank you so much for being, being heavenly and being so smart and your will is perfect. And when I pray, a lot of times I'm asking you to do my will. And I just want to confess that right now, that that's stupid. Um, I should be praying that your will is done. I, I desire that because I know that well, not only do I not have all the information to make judgments for how things ought to be. Um, my heart is fickle, too. My heart is, um, there's sin, and I would make the wrong decisions and judgments, so I want your will to be done. I want your will to be done for this congregation right here, for the church that is Machias Community Church, this local body of believers. And I pray that you will... 
use your word in our lives. You drill it down deep that we will hang on to these exceeding great and precious promises that are here. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, Peter says that we have been given exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of God's own divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. And, and it's there, right? I mean, we all have that corruption of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. I mean, that's what's in the world. And if we're going to escape that, we're going to do it with God's promises. And boy, that first promise that I latched onto when Grace Edson shared it out there at Warm Beach Community Church in, I don't know when that was. It was like a long time ago, like maybe 1970. Verse 6 of chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Has God begun a good work in you? You're here, yes. Do you have all faith and no sin yet? Have you arrived? No, none of us have. But wherever you're at on this path, realize that Jesus has begun a good work in you. If you're not even sure if you're saved, if you have a question about that, I would love to help you discover that wonderful truth. John would, after the service at different times, you know, John will be up here or Ken will be up here, different elders are up here for you to come and talk to them. If you're not sure whether you're saved and whether you're going to heaven, you come talk to John or you can talk to me or you can talk to Ken or you can talk to Bill. Um, you could probably talk to most of the people in here would tell you how you can know for sure that you're saved. What a wonderful promise, though, is knowing that if he began a good work, he's going to finish it. I don't know about you, but sometimes I start projects and then life takes over and sends me a different direction and that project is sitting there for a while before I get back to it, if I get back to it. I hate having a lot of unfinished projects. And maybe you've had some unfinished projects but God has no unfinished projects. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for all the good works that he has planned out for you to do, but you are his workmanship. Then uh, down there in verse 21 of the same chapter, this, this is a really important verse for me. I understand why Paul said this, even though he didn't know if his head was going to get chopped off, or if he was going to get released and get to go see them in Philippi. He was sure hoping that he could see them, not for his own sake, but for their sake. But he didn't know for sure. And he says, verse 21, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. How could that be? Because he believed that as soon as he left this body, he would be present with the Lord. How are you ever going to have confidence to live your life in this world as a Christian if you think that your life is here? If you think this is all there is? If this is your best life, do you really have something bad to look forward to? Your life is not here. 
the life that you have here as a Christian is in Christ. But if you die, that's gain. It might be sad for other people. You'd kind of hope that it'd be sad for a few people. I mean, if everybody was cheering, yay, that wouldn't be so great. But, I mean, at the same time, I don't, I think about that. The only thing that bothers me about dying and getting going to heaven is that I think, yeah, but there's going to be people that are sad. My grandkids are going to be sad. And I think, ah, they'll forget about it. (laughs) You know, life goes on, right? That's the way it is. Ah, To live is Christ. To die is gain. And then chapter 2. Something, it's, an, it's not a promise, but it is, <clears throat> it is a direction for my life. This is what I want to be true in my life. And this is what you should want to be true in your life. So it's just starting with verse 2, because I could start with verse 1, but I'm going to start with 2. Fulfill my joy, Paul says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. That is what this church needs. That's what every church needs. There is no temptation, there is no trial, there is no trouble that has befallen Machias Community Church that hasn't fallen so many other churches. I know so many other churches. And it's like, okay, we needed a little humbling because <laughs> we were pretty good, you know? I mean, CDI, right? Everybody knows about Machias Community Church. Oh, there's all these other little churches that are having trouble. Oh, yes, you know, there's people that are, you know, divisive and different things are happening, you know, and, and guess what? We're not different than anybody else. We're not different than any other church. And we can go through troubles too. But how do we live in the midst of trouble? That's what counts. So what applies to... My life individually and your lives individually and your families especially applies to the church. How is the church going to glorify Christ, which is God's intention? He's glorified in his church. How is he going to be glorified if we're divided, if there's division, if everybody's got their own mind about how things ought to be? He's not glorified, and Jesus' prayer is not answered. Remember in John chapter 17, on the way to the cross, he prays to the Father, and the bottom line of his prayer is that, Father, I pray that they might all be one, even as we are one. You know, we're supposed to love one another. Love overlooks a multitude of sin. How are they going to know that we're Christians? How does the world around us know that we truly are Christians? No, we're not just a religious gathering. By our love. By our love for one another. If we don't have that, what do we have? So this is important for us as a group as well as individuals. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord... Of one mind, let nothing, not let most things, but let nothing be done through selfish ambition. You know, I think that we're all kind of selfish individually, don't you? I am. I have to fight that. You have to fight that. 
Nothing be done during, done through selfish ambition or conceit, thinking that you're something that you're not. Bottom line is, I'm a sinner saved by grace, and it's an amazing thing that I even have the privilege to stand up here in front of you and share the word of God. Who am I to get to do that? That, that is sure the grace of God. And I'm not the village missionary that has been signed here. I am, I am one who cares. I'm older, so I'm elder but I'm not an official position, official leadership position. I'm looking forward to the <laughs> later in November when I just get to sit with the rest of you and listen to somebody else preach. Because, you know, more than anything, I'm just one of the flock, one of the herd. That's the mind that we should have. But in lowliness of mind, each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. That's where our minds and hearts need to be as a church. But there's a promise here, too, that I've claimed. It's a, it's a really important promise. It's in verse 12 and 13, and then 14. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It starts with therefore, but just skip down to that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, and then the promise that takes the fear and trembling and turns it into adoration. For it is God who works in you both to desire, to will, and to do for his good pleasure. Remember, he is the one who has begun the good work. He is the one who will finish the good work. And so even though we're working out our life along the timeline, going from the time we were born to the time we die, and we get to be with Christ, and all of our sin is wiped away, I mean, it's not only forgiven, but it's like can't even remember it anymore because it's all gone. But we're working our way there, and we have not arrived. I haven't arrived, and you haven't arrived. Paul hadn't arrived. But we can work it out with fear and trembling before our holy God in full confidence that he is working in us to change our desires so that they will conform to his perfect will so that we will do his good pleasure. And what is that good pleasure? Verse 14. <clears throat> do all things without complaining and disputing. So whatever we do, especially in the church, it should be without complaining, without murmuring, without disputing. Oh, there's so much more here, but I've got to skip over to chapter 3 because I'm still on my way to chapter 4. I didn't forget. So Paul hadn't attained, but he was pressing on. And so we look at uh, verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or to caught up with it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. So any of the things that he's forgetting behind, remember, that's his pedigree, who he was before Christ. He is not forgetting what Christ has done in his life, but he's forgetting any pedigree, any thing that would give him 
a leg up over someone else. Oh, yeah, Paul, he, he was, you know, working for the Sanhedrin. Paul, yes, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Oh, my, touching the law, he was perfect. It was, he said, all of that is dung. I'm forgetting that. I'm leaving that behind because I'm pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So that should be in our mind too. Uh, there is a promise implicit in that. And that is all those things in the past can't hold us. They are not anchors. And they are not indelible. All of the handwriting of the law that was against us has been covered with blood. There's two books that are going to be opened. People are going to be judged out of them. The, the book of everything you ever did and the book of life. And when the book of everything you ever did is opened, it's going to be, yeah, his name's here, but man, there's blood all over here. I can't even read what's written. Let's see if he's in the Lamb's book of life. Oh, yes, well, here he or she is in the Lamb's book of life. You don't want to be judged out of the book of everything you ever did, do you? You want to be judged out of the book of life. What makes a difference is the blood of Christ, is the blood covering the writing of everything you did, or do you want to be judged out of that? Some people say, oh, yes, I've lived a pretty good life. I think God will judge me out of that and say, yeah, the good things you did outweighed the bad. Yeah, nope, that's not going to happen. So we're pressing on towards the call, but the promise I see is in verse 20 through the end of that chapter, for our citizenship, palitnuma, our citizenship is in heaven, not will be in heaven. In fact, when Paul writes to the Ephesian Christians in chapter 2, he says that we are seated together with Christ in the heavenly places. Already, it's a done deal. If you're a Christian, you already not only have your seat at the table, you are sitting in that seat. So look at everything in this world from that heavenly vantage point. Well, Russia's going to... Send nuclear bombs. Well, the pandemic that we had is nothing compared to the pandemic that's coming. Psst, that stuff here. My 401k just became a 401 not okay. <laughs> that's here. It's here. You get up. Have, how many of you flown in, not a, not a big airplane, but just in one of those light airplanes, you know, like a Cessna or something, and you notice how the hills that seem so big, all of a sudden they just flatten out? You don't have to get up very high before all those things that seem to be so mountainous and lumpy, you, you can't even notice the contour anymore. Look at things from heavenly places. Realize where your citizenship is. Are you worried about what is happening in this nation and the vote and all that kind of stuff? You've been reading the news? The other day, when I say other day, I mean maybe even a week or two ago, I told Meryl, I'm kind of depressed. And she said, why? I said, because I read this article. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, that made me depressed. i got to quit reading these articles. That was getting me down because I was... I was wading through the weeds in the swamp. 
You know, and I was trekking up and down the hills. I need to, I need to get up in the air a little bit. I need to be looking at things from where my citizenship is, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus. So there is a great promise, too. Not only is my citizenship in heaven, and I'm already a citizen of heaven, but Jesus is coming back again. And then the promise, who will transform our lowly body that it might conform to his glorious body, the resurrection. So I'm standing up here, and my knees are screaming at me because we stood up singing songs. I think, okay. And it was kind of embarrassing to have to walk down off of the platform last Sunday because when I, they, don't, they hurt a lot, and it's hard to get up and down. And uh, I'm looking forward to a new body, you know? I mean, aren't you? Yes. Boy, that's a wonderful promise. And then now we finally get to chapter 4. I got maybe five minutes here. But this is, there's some really good promises in here. Look at this one. Down here in verse 5, at the very end of verse 5, I, I think it probably should belong to verse 6. But the guy who put these verses in, you know, I mean, it wasn't, chapters and verses, you know, are not part of the inspired word of God. Some guy just thought, hey, that's a good place. And I'm not sure about this one because, you know, it starts out, let your gentleness be known to all men. Okay, that's great. That goes with what went before. But the Lord is at hand. And some people kind of read extra into that, like the coming of the Lord is at hand. No, Jesus is here. Did you know that? Where two or more are gathered in his name, he said, I'm there in the midst. Jesus is here right now. The Lord Jesus is at hand. If he is with us, what do we have to fear? What is there to be worried about, really? If Jesus is walking with you, if he is at hand, why worry? Be anxious for nothing, verse 6. See why the Lord is at hand goes with verse 6. Jesus is with you. Don't worry. Don't worry. But in everything, no matter what the situation is, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, in all things give thanks, Paul says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So no matter what, you give thanks. Let your requests be made known to God. Well, you know what? That's pretty nice. Because he actually comes right out and says, you do have requests. There are things you want. Okay, go ahead and tell me. Really? You mean I don't just have to say, well, your will be done, whatever you want. That's a good starting place, right? But God is good enough to say, but you don't have to be a stoic about it. You don't have to just take this without doing a little squeaking and hollering to me. You know, if you have a need, if you have a want, let me know. I have experienced the answer to prayer in my life that has just been astounding. I mean, literal, supernatural Answers to pr very specific prayers. Nothing that could be, oh, that's a coincidence. No, that wasn't a coincidence. Let your requests be made known to God. 
Don't worry about anything because the Lord is right here. We can talk to Jesus because he's here. And he says, if you ask anything in my name, what? I will do it. I'll do it. Because he loves us more than we love him. Never forget that. And if you do that, verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This is not a mind thing. This is not something you can even figure out. It will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Are you anxious about anything? Are you worried about anything? How do you get rid of worry? Oh, if I just think more. Oh, that doesn't work. If I just lay awake at night and think more about it. Yeah, that's not working, is it? Understand this. Christ is with you. Every step of the way, and not just where two or more are gathered. When you're on your own, when you're all alone, he has sent the parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, who is not only within you, but is your rearward, your guard on your sides. He's carrying you through. He's teaching you. And you can always pray to him. And that's the thing to do. When you're worried, when you're anxious, don't. Realize, hey, wait, you're here. So this is what I'm going through. This is what's been bugging me. Thank you. I don't understand because it's beyond my understanding. I don't understand why it has to be this way. But I want to trust you. And I just pray that you'll solve this thing for me. And if you do that, his promise is the peace of God is going to guard your hearts and minds. And then one last one over here, starting with verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. And then he says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And there's so many people that want to rip verse 13 out of its context and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to make this field goal kick. Or I'm going to succeed in this business venture. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to buy and sell and get gain. All such rejoicing is evil, James says. You ought to say, well, if I live, then I'll try that. But no, this verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has nothing to do with your will. It has to do with you accomplishing his will no matter what happens, whether you have a lot or whether you have nothing, whether all your bills are getting paid with ease you don't even need to think about them. I mean, you got them on auto pay. There's more money pouring into the bucket than spilling out. Or whether you're scratching your chin and thinking, "Why? Oh, I don't know how that's going to happen because I don't have the funds for it. 
Whether people are saying, yeah, that's a good idea. We want to help you do it. Or whether they're saying, oh, no, we don't think you should do it. Boy, that, that was the case with Contenders Bible School. You guys don't even know all the roadblocks that were in the way. What, what could I do? I mean, it was, that's what God wanted us to do. That was God's will. And yeah, people can see it now and say, wow, that's, that is really a great thing that Village Missions has going for them. Well, that's not what they thought way back when. I can do all things, all of the things that God wants me to do through Christ Jesus because he's going to strengthen me. And then verse 19 and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. God can supply all of our needs. But the context is these people had given more than what they could. The Philippian Christians are one of the three churches of Macedonia. There was, well, the, the first one in line would have been um, Philippi, and then there was Thessalonica, and then there was Berea. This is north and east of Greece. And Paul, writing to the Corinthian Christians, said, well, you guys talked big about giving, but you never did. You never sent anything to help those poor saints who are in Jerusalem. You talked like you were going to, but you didn't. But those churches in Macedonia did. And in fact, not only did they give, they gave out of their poverty. They didn't have anything. They weren't rich like you Corinthian Christians. They gave more than they were even able. They impoverished themselves to give to the aid of the church in Jerusalem that was undergoing persecution. But when you really read what happens, you find out that, yeah, those churches in Macedonia that got credit for it, it was Philippi, because Paul said to the Philippian Christians, you gave, and even none of the other churches gave, and none of the other churches helped me. Even when I went to Thessalonica, you sent help there following me so that I can continue doing the ministry. One of the things about Machias Community Church I'm really thankful for is it's a giving church. You have given more than you know, and I'm not just talking dollars, but this church has given itself in encouraging other village missions churches. You have given something that is so precious. You have given village missionaries. You've given people that we would love to have here. Because not only would they add to us just their presence, their presence would attract others. Oh, yeah, we could be a great big church if we just hadn't sent anybody out. If we'd have kept them here. But we gave our treasures away, and God has used them in incredible ways. And God has glorified himself in Machias Community Church. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, thank you for all these wonderful, exceeding, precious promises in your word. And we want to grab onto them, hang on to them. As the world around us gets more chaotic, we have more and more of an opportunity to shine brightly for you. But not if we get wrapped up in this world. Not if we get drawn off sides into worrying about things here. It's only as we hang on to your promises, hold on to your hand, recognize your presence with us even right now, and lift our needs and even our wants up before you so that you can glorify yourself in us. As we enter now this time of corporate prayer, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will work in our hearts. If there is need for repentance, if there is a need for a change of attitude in any of us, I pray that you'll show us that, that by your Spirit, you will do a work. And then I pray that you will raise us up in rejoicing and thanksgiving so that we can reclaim that position that we have of glorifying you as the body of Christ right here in this little spot. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.